The Lord bless you. I am delighted to be with you this evening, albeit in another state at another time. But I believe the Lord has gathered us together for such a time as this. And I believe the Lord has given us a word to help us to deploy. I know the theme of your conference is we go out and we've been deployed and that your main scripture comes from Luke where Jesus told the story of the king who sent his servants to bid people who were in society. And one said, I can't come to your son's wedding because uh, I bought a piece of property. And another one said, I just got married. And another one said, I've got oxen. These were people that had money and had education and were prosperous. And the king was so angry when all these people came back with excuses that he turned to his servants and said, just go out into the highways, the byways, and the hedges and make people come in that my house may be full. And that's the main theme of this conference, go. And, and then there is a backstory, an understory that has to do with the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 through 16. And I can't be with you, but the word of the Lord is with you even now. And before we begin reading this, I just want to tell you the story. You can leave that scripture up there. In the 13th chapter... King Saul had been king for about two years. And during that time, he had begun resisting the Philistines who kept his people in oppression and fear. In fact, they didn't even allow those people to have a smith. You know what a smith is. It's the man that forges iron because that's how you make weapons. You make blades in a fire, and you hammer and sharpen. And the Bible said that the Philistines would not let them have a smith because they didn't want the Israelites to rebel against them. So they took away their ability to create weapons. They didn't have any weapons, so you can't fight a war. Well, when Saul became king, the Lord moved on him to move against those oppressors. And we see that in that 13th chapter, Saul had gathered to himself 2,000 men, and Jonathan had 1,000 under their command. Now, I don't know when Jonathan did it, how he did it. I, I can think why he did it. He was probably a little bit rasher than Saul, and he was a courageous man. But Jonathan slew, one version says a garrison, another says he slew a governor, and it enraged the Philistines. So they got together, I think it was 30,000 chariots, and then they got infantry. That means the guys that are walking. 30,000 chariots and a bunch of guys walking and said, we're going to crush them. We're, we've raided them. We've wiped them out. But they resisted us one time, and we're coming after them. We're coming after them. They resisted us and we're coming after them. Have you ever felt like when you get up to make a push to be closer to God that you find resistance coming at you and then right after that it feels like the, the floor falls out and the ceiling drops in and that's exactly what happened to them. It was like we'll teach you to resist us because we're going to pound you to the ground. And in that context 
Samuel told Saul, wait for me. Seven days I'll be there. You got to wait for me. I'm going to help you sacrifice and wait for me. Well, guess what was happening to the army when they saw 30,000 chariots, infantry coming down in the valley of Michmash. They got scared, and while Saul was waiting for Samuel, he was watching his soldiers dropping out. So the number he started with was not the number that he finished with. And by the time we get to the 14th chapter, where our text is, there were 300 men left out of 3,000. That was it. Or, excuse me, 600. 600 out of 3,000 men were left. That means that four-fifths left and one out of five stayed. That's it. That's not a great number. And so Saul got so worried about people leaving that he crossed a line. He said, I'll just do the sacrifice myself. I can't wait for Samuel. I'm losing my army. You know the songs that say, wait on the Lord? And the scripture that says, wait on the Lord? That was a test because God knew that Israel was never going to be strong enough to take the Philistines by themselves. He didn't intend for them to fight a typical warfare. Everybody say, he never intended, he never intended. A, typical a typical warfare. And if you number God's people, 15 million of Semitic origin from Abraham in a world of, what, 6 billion? It's an infinitesimal amount in comparison to the world population. God has never wanted us to be number conscious when it came to getting the victory. I know it's hard to say because we need more money, we need more resources, we, we count. And we count on being able to count, but not in God's economy. So Saul forced himself to sacrifice, and Samuel said, you shouldn't have done it, you should have waited on me. So Saul had a breakdown between him and God. But Jonathan didn't. Now, I could preach about that for a long time. Saul was a leader who left his commitment to God, but his son did not. Now, this is what's amazing. By chapter 14, only 600 men are left. Now, let's go to verse 1. I have a lengthy reading, and I want you to just listen. Now, it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man that bare his armor... Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that's on the other side. But he didn't tell his dad. I want to jump down to verse 4. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other was Senna. Jonathan was getting ready to go into a conflict in a narrow place. Sharp rocks on one side and sharp rocks on the other. I want to tell you something. There is no greener grass on the other side right now. If you decide that you want to escape the conflict we're in by changing your direction, I'm telling you, if you join the enemy, you're going to be defeated. If you go back to the life you left, you're going down in misery. You're just going to have to go forward and have faith in God. And even though Jonathan's father didn't have it, Jonathan did. 
say, well, my parents aren't serving God and, and my children aren't serving God and, and my family doesn't pray anymore and they're not coming to church with me and I'm alone and I'm by myself. Hallelujah. If you are with the Lord, you and God are a majority. And I've been asked to wear this camouflage because we've been deployed. God is not calling just men into the fight to resist the feelings of despair and despondency. He's calling men, women, children, everything that can march, anyone that believes, everyone that has faith in Jesus who's been blood-bought and blood-washed. Jonathan had an armor-bearer. There's no place to escape the passage between the rocks. There is no way. You're going to have to make up your mind if you're going to fight or if you're finished. Because right now the battle has been engaged. Hallelujah. We are in a warfare. Jonathan in the sixth verse said to the young man that carried his armor, Come and he said it again, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. Oh, I love this boy. It may be. He didn't say, I got a solid word. He said, I'm going to do this on a chance. I was successful when I killed that governor. When I, when I stirred the Philistines up, I did it. And somebody could say, yeah, you had a great revival. You remember the night you spoke in tongues? Remember when you got baptized and your life has been nothing but trouble? I'm telling you there are Philistines that are trying to turn us around and turn us against God and turn us as a weapon against our own people marching with the other side telling us it doesn't matter what you believe or what you think I'm telling you God has set us up for an amazing victory and it's time to get your camouflage on we're not part of this war we've been deployed oh let's lift our hands and praise the Lord right now we've been training for this Hallelujah. It may be that the Lord will work for us. <laughs> I don't know if he will, but he might. Let's take a chance. Let's do something different. Let's fight back. Jonathan, are you insane? He said, I'm not trying to take on the whole army, but there is, have you noticed? They're right up there between the rocks. I've noticed them. There's a group of men. I think you and I can take them. I can't take 30,000 chariots, but I can take that group right over there. Oh, well, why would you even waste your energy? Why would you even waste your energy? There's so much that needs to be done. So just fold your hands and do nothing. That's exactly what the Lord said to the man that had one talent. Why didn't you do something with what you had? Well, I only had one, and one wasn't enough. But I'm telling you, little is much when God is in it. Everybody's required to do something. Hallelujah. And so, he said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. And I want you to look at this. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Now, I'm going to tell you what. There's only so much I can do. 
And there's only so much you can do. If we set it in our heads and said, we are going to fast and pray for a solid week, there would be some of us that would go so far and we'd have to stop. And there would be others of us that could go a little further, then we'd have to stop. Because you've only got so much strength, you've only got so much time, you only have so much energy, you only have so much ability, but God is not limited by only so much. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's not limited. But he limits himself to what people choose to do. And Jonathan said, let's go. Now, I want you to go with me to 2 Kings 7, 3. There's another story in the Bible about some men that said, let's go. And there were four lepers. And this is what they said. They were under siege by Syria, and they were starving to death. Everybody was starving to death. Sick people, well people, rich people, poor people. They all had the COVID. Think about it. Every one of them. And the outcome was D-E-A-T-H. We're all going to die. Everybody knew it. So this is what they said. Why sit we here until we die? We know we're going to die. Is this how you want to spend your last day? Just sitting here waiting for them to come get your corpse? You know we're going to die. Whether we're sick or well or tall or short or fat or thin, we're all going to die. Do you really want to spend your last days living in fear and terror and torment and anxiety about the moment when it comes? And they said, if we say we will enter into the city, see, they wouldn't even let them inside the city. By that time, I'm like, who cares? Y'all going to die anyway. If you get leprosy, what difference does it make? You're dead. He said, if we enter the city... Where everybody else is, the famine is in the city. There's nothing to eat, and we're going to die there. If we sit where we are, we're going to die here. Now, there's a third option. Two out of three are certain death, but there's this one chance. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us... <laughs> If the enemy goes, you might be worth something as a slave. I mean, I don't know if they'd lost their arms, their toes, but they said, we stand more of a chance of life right. with somebody we don't know than just sitting here in certainty. And so they said, we'll just fall into their hands. If they save us, we live. And if they kill us, well, that's what was going to happen with the other two options. So they said, Let's go. Jonathan said, let's go. I don't know what you are waiting for to say, God, it's time for me to get my act together. God, I've been battling discouragement and depression. I've not been fighting it. I've just been giving in to it. Well, we're all going to die. Well, my life is over. Well, things are bad at home. Well, things are bad at church. Well, things are bad on the job. And I'm just going to fold my hands and give up. Well, let me tell you. I'm telling you, the Lord said, get up and go. He said, you've got a job to do. Get up off of that thing. Hallelujah. 
hallelujah, and sing till you feel better, and shout till you feel better, and worship till you feel better, and rejoice till you feel better. As long as you're sitting, you're going to die. Then he said, maybe the Lord will work for us. I want to go to Daniel 3 and 17. I don't know what God will do if you fast and pray. But if you don't fast and pray, I can tell you what's going to happen. I don't know what God will do if you give the Lord a sacrifice. But I can tell you what's going to happen if you don't. I don't know what God will do if you decide to get up early in the morning and give him five minutes in the morning and five in the evening. I don't know what God will do if you set your face and say, I made my mind up. I'm going to push back against what's coming against me. But I know what will happen if you don't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were surrounded by coronavirus. They were surrounded by the news media that said, when we tell you to bow, you bow. When we tell you to keep your mouth shut, you keep your mouth shut. Because if that woman spits on you, she's going to give you coronavirus. And if you go to church, you're going to catch it. And if you dance, you're going to get it. And if you shout, you're going to die with your lungs crystallized. I'm telling you, people I love have gotten sick and died in January 2020. And there are probably others that are going to die. And they didn't die from coronavirus. I know there's a Philistine out there saying... You preach that and you're going to sneeze your head off after service. But let me tell you something. I know what will happen to me if I don't magnify, if I don't glorify, if I don't praise him. And the king said, when I tell you to bow, I want you to be scared of me. And you know what? It's okay for you to take precautions against coronavirus and cancer. It's okay for you to take precautions and wash your hands. We should have been washing our hands all along. That's nasty. That's just nasty. But I'm going to tell you something. We have something more than coronavirus coming after us. It is the fear of coronavirus. It's the fear that keeps you locked in your seat when you want to throw your hands in the air. I'm going to tell you something. There are people that have been battling Philistines of fear before coronavirus. What will they say if they see me worship? Will I look stupid? And I'm telling you right now, there has to be a moment when you say, I'm sick and tired of being locked into fear of what people think about me. Fear about what people are going to say. Afraid to worship. Afraid to praise. Afraid to shout, afraid to testify, afraid, afraid, afraid. That's a Philistine. And the Philistines used fear. And they lost four out of five of them. Four out of five vanished. And I don't read statistics about churches. I just know we have sheep and I care about all of them. And I know there's some sheep that haven't made it back, and I'm praying God will take care of them. That's why we have online services, so they can stay connected, and many have. 
But I'm going to tell you the day that the devil tries to stop you from praising God because you're afraid of a virus, you need to rip your mask off at your house and stomp your feet by yourself to the sound of praise. You need to run the kitchen. You need to run the aisle in your bedroom. You need to run around the sofa. You need to jump up and down. You say, well, I won't do it at church. Ain't nothing stopping you at home. You better give him the glory. You don't know what he will do. But this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. If you don't do what I say, this is intimidation. I'm going to burn you to the ground. And so he tells our pastor when we have a hot service and people are shouting and praising God, every one of them are going to get coronavirus. Tell them to sit down. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them to put their hands down. Tell them to obey you. Tell them to put the mask on. Tell them to stay home. Tell them, tell them, tell them what I tell you to tell them. Do what I say. Huh. And they said this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. In other words, if he wants to, he is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And then they said something like this. Now, this blows my mind. They said, if he wants, he can deliver us from the furnace, but he's sure going to deliver us out of your hand. You know what they were saying? You get to burn us one time. Then you don't get to touch us again. If you burn our bones to ashes, we are done, oh, buddy. You won't get to tell us to bow again. They said, we will go to our deaths cheerfully because this is the last thing you'll ever do to us. You'll never command me to fall on the ground. You'll never get my taxes. You'll never tell me to vote. You're never going to touch me again with your words. You're never going to tell me where my kids can go and what they can do and where I can sit and where I can stand. This is your last shot at me, buddy. Those men said, we're going to our death knowing God is going to deliver us out of your hand. You have no power. They were saying, we're going to die free. I'd rather die free than live bound. I'd rather die free than live bound. I'd rather die free. Give me liberty or give me death. Yay! Somebody shout to the Lord. Jesus, you put on a pair of boots. When you took on the name of Jesus, you put on some camouflage. When you were washed in the blood, you signed away your name and took on the name of Jesus. And the Bible said the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church. Go! <laughs> he said, Verse 18, I want you to know something. Daniel 3 and 18, after they said, our God will deliver us. He's going to, but if not, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is if we go into this and we don't come out of it, and all you take up from the bottom of the furnace is the ashes of our cremains, you know this. We will not 
serve your gods. We are not going to worship the image. We are not going to be concerned about what you determine is power. We serve only one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And Jesus said, I am. His name is Jesus. We serve one commander-in-chief. His name is Jesus. Jonathan said, you got to make a declaration. If you're getting ready to march against depression and anguish and despair, then you better just draw the line in the sand. Jonathan said it out loud. He can save by many or by few. He said, we don't have many. We started out with 3,000. Right now we got 600. And did you know what the Bible said? Only Jonathan and Saul had swords. So when it says that Jonathan had an armor bearer, I'm like, what armor was the kid carrying? I read one version that said he had rocks. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not flamethrowers, not big old Apache helicopters. Those amazing guns that that young man that's uh, deployed in the Middle East right now, whose name I shall not name, he knows how to work those from a helicopter. I don't know if they'd call him a gunny or not, but I said, you shoot that for me, and he laughed, because I would love to get a hold of one of those. I would probably, it would probably spin me around. I guarantee you, I'd be swinging off the tail end of that thing. You got to have enough strength to hold it, you know what I mean? The Lord doesn't need flamethrowers. He needs people who are willing to take a risk and trust that he'll be right back there behind them, backing them up. Saul and his army were wiped out with depression, and Saul was sitting under a tree while his boy snuck off. Because Saul did wrong, and instead of repenting, he just sat under a pomegranate tree with his 300 men or 600 men, and they were all terrified and demoralized. What they're going to fight with? Rocks, stones. There was no smith and no swords. But here's Jonathan. Let's go. I want us to go to Genesis 18 and 14. This is what the Lord said to Sarah and Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I know we've had some people this year that have lost some loved ones. And the world would tell you, because I just read some of the comments of some celebrity people that lost folks they love. My heart has been shattered to a million pieces. I will never get over it. I will always feel it. I will always bear it. It will always trouble me. It will always. That is not what the Bible said. The Bible said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I don't know what you've been through or what you're coming out of, but I'm going to ask you the same question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can he heal a broken heart? You've lost your child. You've lost your mother. You've lost your brother. You've lost your sister. You've lost your husband. But you have not lost the great creator. You have not lost the I am. You have not lost the first and the last. You have not lost the alpha and omega. Is anything too hard? 
resolve that, well, why didn't he keep him from dying? Because everybody's got to die at some point. I'm sorry, it's the truth. And then after that, the judgment. A greater miracle is if you can heal the people that are left and give them hope in the resurrection. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord right now. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Then he said, at the time appointed, that tells you right there that God has an appointment book. He's got a schedule and he knows it. You don't and I don't. He said, I'll return and Sarah will have a son. In Jeremiah 32 and 27, and this one is just thrown out there, and I want you to remember it and memorize it. When sickness comes to your home or disease or financial trouble, behold, behold it. Hey, I am the Lord. Let me tell you who's saying all this. I am the God of all the flesh that loves me, the flesh that hates me. He said, I created all of it. Elephant flesh, whale flesh, cow flesh, chicken flesh. I am the God of all. Is there anything? too hard for me. See, we get, we get linear thinking. Yeah. It's got to be this way yeah. or no way. I don't want to survive that. I don't want to go through that. I, I got to have my people around me. I won't make it without it. And he said, really? I can take you through that, bring you on the other side with joy and peace and righteousness and goodness. I can do a greater miracle than bringing your relative back to you. I can keep you after they're gone. Not only that, I can keep you until I sound a trumpet and come and get you. I can reunite you with your relative. Is there anything too hard for me? I know where everybody is that has ever lived. And then there was Gideon who fought with a small army of 300. They didn't have any swords either. They had pitchers of clay, lamps, and trumpets. And that's how they won about. And the Lord said, you've got 20,000, cut them down. Cut them down again, cut them down again, because I don't want any of you saying it was because you were so awesome that you won. No, I'm going to do this myself and show you what I can do with people that just believe Verse 7 of 1 Samuel 14, let's go back to that. I want to show you what his armor bearer said. Now I want to tell you something. If you're going to march against what's troubling you, you can't go by yourself. Jesus sent out his disciples by twos. And Jesus said, you've got to get somebody to agree with you. And his armor bearer was the guy that helped him carry his burdens. Do you know what Jesus said through his disciples and apostles? Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. He said, I want you to feel one another's pain. I want you to pray for each other. I 
want you to be concerned about what's going on in that home. I want you to help carry it, not conceal it. This is not conceal carry, this is carry carry. Because what happens when you start carrying each other's burdens is it turns into weapons. Because when you begin to love one another, suddenly your weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God because you start speaking truth to thoughts and truth to feelings. But if you're sitting there lying about how you feel and you won't tell the truth about where you are, then nobody can argue the point with you. But when somebody loves you and you tell them the truth, I'm disgusted. I'm suffering, I'm struggling, and they pick that burden up and say, is there anything too hard for God? You know he's never left us. He's never going to forsake us. You have an armor bearer. If you want someone to demoralize you, go find somebody that'll agree with you about how bad it is and how hard it is and how awful it is and how weak you are and how miserable you are and you won't lift a finger when the Philistines come. But if you've got an armor bearer, then there's going to be somebody who's going to help you use the sword of the Spirit. You're not going to be able to go after people that flip you off and tell you where to go when you're driving, but you can go against the spirit of rage by saying God has not given us the spirit of fear but power you can bless them that curse you and love them that hate you and do good to them that despitefully use you what are you doing we are marching oh lift your hands and let's praise the Lord armor bearer said I don't want to fast and pray go find somebody else to do that you know what that boy said to him he didn't say, well, man, there are only two of us. Jesus said, if two of you get in agreement, one goes, shall we take you? You want to help me fast and pray for my family, and I'll help fast and pray for yours? Yeah, let's do that. One of them says, man, I've been really discouraged. I got some things I'm not, I'm not handling well. You know, I do too. Let's fight it together. I got me an accountability partner, someone I don't lie to, someone I tell the truth to. Man, I'm struggling. Okay, let's pray about that. Let's fight that together. Let's, let's move, not hiding that away. Well, I don't want anybody to know that I'm really not battle worthy. You know, oh God, please, don't tell me your legs are broken when we're getting ready to go fight. You need to be well. You're no good to us if you're not strong, if you're sick and weakly. You hadn't been dealing with stuff. His armor bearer said, do all that's in your heart. Turn. I'm with you. I looked up armor bearer. He's a burden bearer. He's a strengthener. He's an uplifter. Say, I don't have one like that. You better find you somebody that will tell you the truth to your pain instead of telling you to escape it. You better find somebody that will look your depression in the eye and say, that ain't Jesus. We need to get to church. We need to pray. You need somebody that will look you in the face and say, where you been? What are you doing? Come on, let's get back in the house of the Lord. I don't go down the front. Come with me. Why? I'm your armor bearer. I'm your strengthener. We're getting ready to fight for your family, for your peace, for your health, for your joy. The Lord is coming. I'm your armor bearer. Do what you want to do. I'm with you. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth is it touching anything, in Matthew 18, 19, anything you 
If you ask me for strength, I'll give it to you. If you've been suffering from discouragement, I'll give you joy. Renew what we're praying for. We're praying for other people. We forget to pray for ourselves. Lord, restore my joy. Lord, restore my strength. Lord, renew my mind. These are prayers God wants us to pray. Right here. Right here, you need an armor bearer. You need somebody that will pray with you and for you. Then verse 8 of 1 Samuel 14, and I'm hurrying to my conclusion here. Jonathan said, we'll pass over to these men and we'll reveal ourselves. Now, I'm tell you talk about courage. Clearly, the other side didn't have any arrows. Because I want to tell you what happened when the army melted away and all those chariots came down in that valley. The Israelite men went into caves and holes. There were no women there. But the men were so petrified because they didn't have any weapons. Forgot completely about God. They were looking for things they could use with their hands. They weren't connected. You understand me? They were, but look at their leader. Their leader wasn't following, so they were just scattered. They were doing exactly what he did, trying to escape, trying to run, except he had a boy. I don't know what God will do, but let's give it a shot. Wow. Oh, God, give us some Jonathans. He said, we're going to reveal ourselves. They came through those rocks. Now, before he did it, let's go to the next verse. He said, we're going to show ourselves to him. He said, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. And if they say to us, hey, stay right there until we come to you. We're coming down. We're coming after you, little boys. He said, we'll just stand our ground. And we won't go up. He said, we won't run. We'll just stand and see. Have you ever heard, stand still? So he was prepared to use two forms of defense and offense. One was, I'm not moving, and the other one said, I'm just waiting for go. He said, I know what to do if they say, we're coming down, buddy. We're going to show you a thing or two. Then he said, I'm just going to stand here, and I'm going to see the next thing that happens. He didn't even know what the next thing would be. He just said, we're not moving, we're going to stay. But then he said this. He, he said some things. They agreed on some things that gave God permission to move. Because look what he said. He said, verse 10, if they say, come up to us. Ever seen that? That little move right there? As in, bring it. He said, we are going up. Because that means the Lord is going to let us smash them to the ground. Now, is that nuts or what? He was spoiling for a fight. Yeah. He said, I want to fight him, but I don't want to fight him without God. Amen. That's the key. I'm willing to fight. Oh, yes, sir, I will fight. We'll fast, we'll pray, we'll stomp, we'll jump, we'll dance, we'll shout, we'll knock doors. But I want to make sure that the Lord has said, So he said, if they say, bring it, he said, we are coming up. All right. So uh, he said, 
The Lord has delivered them. It'll be assigned to us. So here they go. And verse 12, they climbed up, Jonathan, and the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer. See, Jonathan's talking, look, they see us. Now, if they say, we're coming down, don't move. But if they say, come up, buddy, God is said, go. And so the men of the garrison said, come up to us, and we're going to show you a thing or two. You talk about flipping somebody off. Children. Children, that's what this was right here. Come on, little boy. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, he didn't say, go ahead of me. He said, come after me. The Lord has delivered them into the hand of who? Who did he say? Whose hand? He didn't say, into my hand. I'm going to tell you something. Every time you conquer your Philistine, you're conquering for the whole church. Every time you overcome what's been overcoming you, you're winning a victory for all of us. We need you to fight. You say, well, nobody knows what I'm doing. God knows what you're doing. You got to whip it so we can all win with you. Hallelujah. God is doing it for Israel. You say, well, no one will know. God knows when you conquer the thing that's been conquering you and you get an agreement with somebody, you're going to release victory throughout the whole camp. You say, I don't believe it. I'm going to prove it to you. Jonathan said, come up. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed on his hands and on his feet. He was going vertical. I'm telling you, when you climb up, you're going to find yourself on your knees. You're going to do some praying and some fasting and some crying out to God. And the Bible said he led the way and his armor bearer came after him. And they fell before Jonathan. That boy gave him whatever it was Jonathan had. And his armor bearer slew after him. I read one version that said his armor bearer had rocks. While Jonathan was swinging a sword, you say, what is it? He's my rock. He's my sword. He's my shield. You fight with the word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost and the name of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. What are you doing? I'm going against the Philistines in the name of Jesus. Oh, shout to the Lord. Verse 14 said, and that first slaughter, the first one with Jonathan and his armor bearer made was 20 men. Two to 20 within a half acre of land which a yoke of oxen might plow. They were one that good for them. There were 14,000 infantrymen and 30,000 chariots. What good did their little old victory do? Well, just go with me then to verse 15 and stand to your feet and we're going to read it together because God sees the work we're doing and God sees the battle we're fighting and God notices when his people gather together and I want you to read with me what happened when God saw that servant and that prince willing to lay down their lives 
eyes for a victory no matter how small it was and it was little. It was just like the man and the starfish where millions have washed up on the shore and that man walks and picks up this one and that one and the little boy says, you won't save them all. You're not going to make a difference. But he said, I will make a difference to this one. And when you conquer what's been conquering you, you are making a difference to someone in your family, in your church, in your community, in your life. It's time to fight your Philistine. I'm telling you right now, it is time to fight your Philistine. Fear, doubt, anxiety, depression, discouragement. I don't care what it is. You, it's time to fight. Put on your camouflage. Shut up. I want you to read what happened after these boys killed 20 men. Two to 20. Read with me. And there was trembling in the host. That means suddenly God began to do his thing. When we do ours, there was trembling in the host. And it went from the army. Let me tell you where else it went. It started like this. And they started... They started feeling something, and a trembling came to the host. Read next. In the field, that means the ground began to tremble. And then keep going. And among all the people, it started in the army. It went to the ground. Then it went to all the people. Then it went to the garrison. Say it with me. The garrison. And guess who else it wound up with? The spoilers. You know who they are? They're the ones that would come by when the battle was finished and murder whoever was living but wounded. They're the ones that came by, those that could have been saved and ran them through with a sword. And God said, not today and not on my watch. There was a young man and an armor bearer and they agreed. I want you to magnify. I want you to glorify. 